please open your Bibles. We're going to begin by reading from Philippians chapter 4. And uh, if you're using the Bible on the table there, you will want to turn to page 1166, 1166, 1166 in the Bible on your table. Philippians 4, we're going to read verses 4 to 7. That's where we will begin today. The Apostle Paul is speaking to the church at Philippi and to us. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, this is not a typical reading for Advent season. It's not in the schedule of readings that you usually see through the Revised Common Lectionary. It's, it's something that I felt prompted to share today. And uh, I shared my feelings about Mary and, and, and her particular place in the story a few weeks ago. And, and so on this particular Sunday, I wanted to talk about the, the imminence of Christ. And we'll talk about what that means in a minute. But I want to focus on two things that we just read in that passage that really jump off the page to me. One of them prompted the sermon topic months ago, weeks ago, in the last few days. One of them just leapt off the page at me this morning in the first service. <laughs> um, first of all, the phrase at the end of verse four, where, or verse five, where the apostle says, the Lord is at hand. That's why I wanted to share this with you today, because I have become a little cynical, maybe jaded in my life as a pastor about Christmas. And lest you think less of me in this, let me explain that it's not, it's not anybody's problem but my own. But what happens when you're a pastor and you do Christmas every year with relentless regularity, and it comes around so much quicker every year, and you know that people are counting on hearing certain hymns, certain carols, they're counting on certain readings. You know that for a lot of people, Christmas is one of those few times when they make an effort to get to church and it fulfills certain expectations they have from church. And so this can tend to make a pastor a little bit cynical. And so my way of combating that years ago was to really focus on the heart of Advent, what Advent really means. And much of what I'm telling you now, you've heard me say before, but we're gonna take it a little bit further today. Advent is a season that intentionally anticipates the second coming of Christ. That it was never designed in the church uh, historical context it was never intended to be something that we use to count down to Christmas. Now, that's okay. We have one of those calendars at our house. And the kids have enjoyed it since they were a little bitty. You know, they count down the days till Christmas on what we call an Advent calendar. 
When I was a kid, we had one where you got to take a piece of candy off every day. Anybody else know got that? Yeah. You know, all of that's great fun. And Christmas is a joyful and fun time, especially for children. But, but for Christians, it's, it's, also, it's also a certain, uh, it's certain to bring about bitterness eventually. And I want to talk about that a little bit, but I want to leave you with hope and joy because that is the intention today. We are planning a worship service or, or a prayer service uh, for the 21st, which is, uh, what, a week from Tuesday. And it will be out at the Shiloh Meeting House. We thought it would be more enriching, more meaningful if it was out there. And we'll explain why that night, but that's, we're calling that the longest night service. And it is a service that is, is, a, is an opportunity for us to go into Christmas, acknowledging that for a lot of us, the joy of Christmas has faded. And for some, it's downright painful. I, I know people who are present today who have just lost loved ones. Let's not even try lest we weep openly to imagine what it's going to be like for people all over this tornado ravaged communities who are not going to have a very good Christmas this year. We can't even begin to understand what it's like for them. And, and while we praise God and thank God that we were spared, we understand that what we were praying for should make us feel a little guilty because it means that the devastation passed one way or another around us, but somebody got hit and maybe next time it will be us. So I say that only to remind you that life changes in a minute, that in, in, in a matter of seconds, life can change forever. And all of a sudden Christmas just isn't the same anymore. So we have this longest night service to acknowledge that. And then to look for a way to enter Christmas with a new paradigm. But then that drives me back to my original point, which is why that cynicism has to be combated with the advent hope of Christ's return. Because sooner or later, Christmas is gonna let you down. But the real, the real point is, is that, that not only does Christmas let you down, but life lets you down. What we have to acknowledge, like it or not, is that from the moment we are born, we are on a ride of ascension where we're growing physically. Our, our newest grandchild is four months old and, and, and the, the four months have been phenomenal. The growth happens so fast. Every time I get a new picture from mom and dad, I see new changes, right? So when they're born, when we're born, we change so fast. We get taller and, and, and you know, I, I, there are families in this church that I met for the first time four and a half years ago, and now they're children who used to come up to about here on me or towering over me, right? And, and this is what happens. We're born and then we mature and grow and we, we ascend physically, mentally, emotionally, and, and in so many other ways. But at, at some point, as we all know, especially those of us with gray hair or no hair, we know that you peak at a certain point. You, you get to the top of the hill and you realize you've reached your, your physical ascent. You are now 
as strong as you're ever going to be, as clear and, 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 and well-defined as you're going to be in every way in your life. And then you begin the decline. You begin the slow descent toward death. And I know this is depressing, but this is life. And for everybody who could resonate with me when I said Christmas just isn't the same anymore, it's because you're on the other side of that hill. You know, there's an old joke, you know, you're over the hill. That's what it means. That's one of those simple truths that we don't like to deal with. But everybody is on a journey uphill and then eventually they're over the hill. And here's life in a nutshell. We claw and we strive and we race and we run to reach our potential. And then as soon as we cross the threshold and begin to descend, we claw and we race and we drag everything we can to slow the descent, which is great because it keeps the beauty industry and the fitness industry going and, you know, because we try to slow the descent. So all that to say life is depressing if you think about it too long. And, and, and you're thinking, way to go, Pastor Dan. I gave up my Sunday morning to hear this. Well, here's the point. When we are born in God's eyes, from the point of view of Eden, where our real nature was conceived, the ascent was supposed to be never-ending. We were supposed to be born and never cease to ascend and to always be reaching our potential every day and yet strive for yet a greater potential with the coming. And this was, this was how it was meant to be. This was God's design. But sin entered the world and so did something called entropy. Entropy is a scientific term that just describes the fact that we all have to face, which is everything winds down. Everything winds down. And the Christian biblical worldview informs us that this was a consequence of sin. Everything winds down. Scientists tell us that sooner or later the sun's going to burn out. It's going to run out of gas. Science informs us, our own reason informs us that everyone around us is growing up to a certain potential and then declining from that potential. And if we share life with people long enough, we'll witness the entire process. And so we know that entropy is a real thing that we cannot deny. And so we're born to face entropy. But we were created for something better than that. Now, when the apostle tells us that the Lord is at hand, he is not saying that from the context of this linear view of life, this line that runs from birth to death. And we understand that not only is one human life aligned from birth to death, but even whole societies and even the world itself is on a journey from birth to death. We understand that. Again, instinctively, intuitively, we get that. 
If you're a student of history, you have all kinds of evidence of the rise and fall of societies, of people groups. I've talked back in the spring last year of the, uh, this past year, of the uh, uh, many apocalypses that have been experienced by different societies over the years. And so when we look at the revelation and our own particular apocalypse that, that, that we understand to be inevitable, we have to realize that many people have experienced that. You could easily have said around two o'clock on Saturday morning in Maysville, Kentucky, it's an apocalypse. It's a catastrophic end to life as you know it. And so again, this is the human condition, but we were made to be superhuman. We were made to be unique in creation. We were created to be a bride for the Son of God. And then sin, sin brought that entropy in. But the apostle wants us to understand that the Christ for whom we were created is at hand. That his return is imminent. At hand, imminent, same thing. But what he's talking about is something that's difficult for us to wrap our minds around because we think within the context of space and time as we understand it. And I know a lot of people have, have listened to me talk about space time and occasionally throw in a wisecrack about Doctor Who. And, and some of you are going, you know, you really lose me every time you do that. All I, all I really want you to understand is that God looks at everything in creation from outside of creation. God looks at everything that is from the perspective of someone who is not part of it per se. He is the author and creator and time is something that we experience. Space time is something we experience, but God does not. And so what God is doing when he brings the son into the incarnation, that's the word I'm looking for, is becoming flesh, right? Incarnate, carne, flesh, right? So he becomes flesh so that God can step out of space, of, of, of eternity into space time. And then in so doing, create the way for us to go back to Eden, to, to step out of space and time and return to eternity, to a place where there is no time. Okay? I know this is difficult, but here's the point. When we Christians try to interpret life from the world's point of view, we're trying to interpret it as though we're driving down a highway somewhere, say from here to St. Louis, and we keep thinking that Jesus' return is the destination. That, that he's there at the other end of the journey. He's in St. Louis waiting with the second coming and he's just waiting for us to get there. Or, or to put it a different way, he's on his way, but he hasn't arrived yet. And so he's left St. Louis and he's on his way to Jasper and we're just waiting for him to get here. But that's not what the apostle wants us to understand. He wants us to understand that Jesus Christ 
the Messiah, the Son of God, is at hand. So what does that mean? Imminent. Well, I thought about this a lot over the last week. Because I kept thinking, okay, I can make sense of this in my own strange mind, but how can I get other people to go where I'm going with this? And is it worth it? And, and what if I'm wrong? You know, I, 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 I doubt myself all the time. And, and I finally came to this, this sort of illustration. If you were in a darkened room where there was no light and you knew that there was a door, it was a familiar room. It's not like you didn't know the room. You just were in the dark. And so you were spatially disoriented. And so what you are doing in this room is you are trying to find your way to the doorway to the light or to the light switch. Have any of you done this? I have a feeling all of us have. You are in a dark room and you're groping your way across the room, trying not to fall over anything, trying not to hurt yourself, trying to find that light switch because you know it's there. And, and so, you know, have you ever stepped into a darkened room and beat your hand against the wall trying to find the light switch, right? That, that we've all done that. And so in a very real sense, the light switch, the source of the light is imminent. It's at hand. It's just that you haven't touched it yet. You just haven't touched it. And so what the apostle is saying to us is, you're not on a destination towards Christ's return. He's not on a destination toward you to return. You are, it's, it's at hand. When you look at the revelation, the story that John of Patmos tells us about what he saw in the future, what he saw was not in the future to him. It was already happening. He was looking at it from outside of space and time. So for him, it wasn't the future. It is the reality of Christ's return. And this is what the apostle is trying to get us to understand, that the Lord is at hand. It's a done deal. You are groping your way in the darkness right now, and his return is at hand. It's just a matter of coming in contact with it. Why? Am I beating you over the head with this? Because that's what Advent is about. That's where the real joy of this season comes from. Not the perfect Christmas. Not this peaceful image. You know one of my favorite, probably my all-time favorite Christmas hymn or Christmas carol is O Little Town of Bethlehem. And, and what's really funny is I've been to Bethlehem actually several times now, and, and it's a noisy place. <laughs> it's noisy, it's congested, it's, it's anything but what you hear in that hymn. And yet, I love that hymn because, to me, that's what Christmas is all about. But here's the thing. The real town of Bethlehem is the way it really is, <laughs> not like the hymn. So if I try to embrace Christmas wrapped around a song that really means a lot to me, I'm going to be terribly disappointed when I actually get there and find that it's this bustling, congested, noisy, smelly town with a couple of little religious sites that have been fenced off and maintained by priests and other religious authorities. And, and, and I'm going to be disappointed. On the other hand, if I understand that 
from the world's point of view, this is a historical event and a historical location, but from the heaven's point of view, it's something that is happening as much as it has happened, as much as it will happen. The Lord is at hand. I can be in a little place that may or may not have been the actual birthplace of Jesus, but when I'm there, I am from one point of view, a linear, one of many people who have stood in line, not only across the room, but across time, in order to gaze at this little place in this holy location. But on the other hand, I'm as present in that moment when Mary and Joseph witnessed the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, because outside of space and time, the Lord is at hand. I know this is heavy. I intend to send you home perplexed. I intend that you would spend the next week or so trying to figure this thing out. And you have my permission. In fact, I urge and encourage you to call me up and say, I've thought about it all week and I think you're a kook. I can take it. So when we talk about the Lord being at hand, it changes everything. Advent means he's here. Yes, there is an imminent return in glory where all the saints living and dead are swept up into his company and we are resurrected either from death or transformed from life in this particular form. All of that is something that we have not yet seen, but it is a fact in that it was witnessed from outside of space and time. It's already happening. That's what Advent is about. And how does that help us in our lives? Well, I, I told you there was another phrase in today's reading that jumped out this uh, earlier today. And this is the phrase that, uh, that says in the very last verse, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. You've probably heard me talk a lot about holiness of heart and mind. I talk about it all the time. I use it as a way of describing a word that is, is a Greek word that describes the word with a capital W in the Bible, and that is the heart and mind of God, logos. But to take it just a little bit further, the logos is not only the heart and mind of God, but it's God's invitation for us to have a like heart and mind, to be of the same heart and mind as God, which happens because God became like us so that we could become like God. Now, we're not gods and we're not equal to Jesus in that sense. And yet in God's eyes, Jesus has reconciled us so that God sees us in the same way that he sees his own son. And he expects us to ascend indefinitely, whether on this side of the grave or not. I was just talking to somebody earlier about how one of my fantasies is to be sitting around 
a big roaring fire by a hearth with J.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis smoking pipes and reading together, because they did that a lot. And I, I've always fantasized about being in that setting. And I will tell you that much of what I understand and am and endeavoring to express to you is in C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce. Now, if you really want a tough read that'll really open your mind, that was a recommendation I give you, The, the Great Divorce. But the point that I want you to understand is, is that, that anyone who really enters into this relationship with God through Christ and embraces the Holy Spirit will inevitably begin to see this development of a biblical Christian worldview. And all of a sudden, it's okay if Christmas isn't like it used to be. All of a sudden, it's okay that you're on this earthly journey that has a way of ascending and then descending. It's okay that you're part of a society that is on a journey of ascent and descent. You are okay if you are part of a historical drama that the Bible describes as an ascent and descent. Because Christ is at hand. He's as near as in front of your face. It's simply not possible for us right now to see entirely, but it was once. It still is at times, I suspect. I've just not had that experience personally. But around the occasion of Jesus's birth, we get some images that we want to hold on to with great hope. And again, here's where Advent and Christmas can do you a world of good, even if Christmas has lost its good flavor. Because in this story, we hear that that the space and time that we live in can be shattered or opened or penetrated by heaven. And it happens all the time. Most of us just don't have the privilege of seeing it. And if we did, we'd probably be as terrified as the apostles were on the Mount of Transfiguration. But there is this, this brilliant light that peers through a tiny portal. Remember a couple weeks ago, I was talking about how we, when we're little boys, when they're, they're, they're little, they get the magnifying glass and they figure out that they can take the power of the sun and concentrate it on a poor hapless ant, right? Well, the star of Bethlehem, I'm sure, is this perfect illustration of that. All the glory of heaven is concentrated through this small portal that always stands just near where the Christ child is. Whether, born or yet, whether he was born yet or not. This, this portal, this opening in the fabric of space and time looks like a star to everybody else. And I'm sorry if you go to the planetarium and they explain it away as a supernova or a comet or something like that. Well, let them. But I am certain that this star, if you read scripture thoughtfully, is not a star. And in the same way, those shepherds in the fields watching their flocks by night, they saw the curtain that separates earth and the realm of God part so that they could see all the heavenly host for a moment, like the curtain in the temple that separates the Holy of Holies from the world of the flesh. It opens, and suddenly there isn't anything separating space-time from the world of God's realm in heaven, outside of space and time. The Lord is at hand, as close as that. 
as close as that. Now, the last thing I want to share with you is my humble submission that I've probably blown some circuitry in your head. I've certainly burned a few of them up in my head. That's why there's no hair up here anymore. The heat generated by this kind of deep thought can be overwhelming, but uh, it's gratifying in its own particular way. If you're having trouble recognizing the nearness of Christ, the, the way that Christ is at hand, the way that, that his participation in our lives through the Holy Spirit, if you're having trouble seeing that, I understand. Many of us do not see portals between space-time and the heavenly realm. Many of us do not see miracles or hear dramatic voices from heaven. Many of us don't have those experiences, and so we really are acting on faith. But here's something every single one of us can see every day. You'll see it even as you drive out of the parking lot today. That is proof that the Lord is at hand. You will see the work of the Lord's enemy. And you have to ask yourself, why is the enemy so busy? Why is the enemy not hiding? Why is the enemy visibly at work. Remember some of the tenets that we've shared together over the last four and a half years. Where there is chaos, there is the enemy of God. Where there's oppression, there is the enemy of God. Where there is hatred and strife, death and destruction, mindless, senseless, terrible suffering, there is the enemy of God. What do you see out there in the world every day? The enemy of God. Why is the enemy of God so busy? Because the Lord is at hand. If you knew, for example, that a very famous person was here in this building, but that person did not want your attention... They would probably do everything they could to mask their presence or at least to have others help them with that process, right? You know, I don't know about you, but I've been in the same room with famous people before and you know when they want to be seen, they're very visible, but when they don't want to be seen, they have an entourage that hides them from plain sight. They're there. They're as close as that, but there's a group of, oh, you know, guys in suits with, with earpieces and wrist microphones and dark glasses or whatever. They're all there to keep a barrier between you and the one that is right there. And so we understand the concept. Do you know that the Lord is at hand? I'll tell you how you know the Lord is at hand. The enemy is doing everything conceivable to mask the Lord's presence from your sight. And there is no one the Lord delights or the enemy delights in blinding more sufficiently than the people of God, the church. 
Why do we see such chaos and oppression in the church? Historically and in the present reality, because the enemy doesn't want the Lord of the church to be at hand in the church. So what can we do about that? Reject the enemy. Reject chaos. Reject evil. Reject hatred. Reject oppression. Watch what happens when you humble yourself and you push away oppression and hatred and chaos and replace it with Christ-like love. All of a sudden you realize that the Lord is at hand and here's something that will really blow your mind. Because the Lord is at hand in you. You are the body of Christ. And the Lord is at hand because you are filled with his spirit and you have resisted the enemy so that you become a mirror of that light. You become someone who transmits that light into a dark place. And the people who live in darkness have seen a great light and it came through you, the body of Christ. The Lord is at hand because you, in faith, resist evil, oppression, hatred, and chaos. And you choose to reflect the light of Christ. Then all of a sudden, you are the star of Bethlehem. You are that portal between the unseen realm and the world of the flesh. No wonder the enemy is trying so hard to put you down with anxiety, embarrassment, and shame. No wonder he's trying so hard to prevent you from embracing your true nature as children of God through Jesus Christ made for a continuous ascent. Amen. I just decided I'm done. Because sometimes it's like that. Let us pray. Lord, when you're done, you're done. <laughs> and sometimes when you get a hold of me, I can tell when you're done because I'm done. So there's nothing left to say, Lord, except make your will happen in these, your children. Make your will happen in me. Let us be light to a world living in darkness. And may you be glorified. We pray for your namesake. Amen. Amen.